0: This is Ballots and Beyond, a deeper dive into Nigeria's elections with Timi Shalea and Toby Lawson.
1: Good day, everyone. This is Ballots and Beyond. It's a podcast that is focused in a non-partisan way on the issues and ideas that we think could land essentially on the president's desk after the Nigerian elections later this month in just over a week and we are hoping to cover some issues that would help some people make their decision as to what candidate has focused on the topic that they think most impacts their lives or in a broad way just assess the candidates. Today we have a focus upon healthcare and so we've called upon the expertise of Tito Ovia, the ex-co-founder of Helium Health, which is a health delivery and health technology company. And the second guest is Ife Bakare, the director of strategy and innovation for NetPlus. So we're trying to look at the healthcare delivery value chain and talk about the things that the president could think about or a future president could do in order to assist which might include talking about the role of the federal government in all of this and where the bottlenecks are um hopefully this will be a fun one because for once we actually have some millennials in fact i think gen z's so we've come way down and we're hoping to actually talk to people who are thinking about the future of nigeria and not just the middle-aged men concerns So with that, I'm actually going to pass over to to Toby Lawson, my co-host.
0: Thank you, Timmy, and it's a pleasure to speak to Ife and Tito today. You're welcome, guys.
2: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure.
0: I think where I'll set the ball rolling, so to speak, is generally, if you can just describe to us, how the overall policy environment around healthcare affects what you guys do so just quick context on me ife bakari i'm head of strategy
2: and innovation at MedPlus. i joined the business in 2019 june and so we've been here for the past three years three and a half years will be four years in june when i joined we were about 45 stores and now we're at about 100 hoping to be about 150 by the end of the year from a pharmaceutical and a pharmacy perspective we're sort of the last mile as timmy said so people come to us for everything. I have a cold, I have a headache, I have a flu. What do I take? What do I do? And the doctors don't really like this. But unfortunately, we're the ones in the forefront. And so we sort of have to play that role in tandem and in conjunction with them. From a policy perspective, I'll talk about three things. I think One I'll say is there's still quite a disconnect between the pharmacy, the retail, and then what I call the hospital network, that being both primary health care centers and the treasury. What we find is we, as the pharmacies, we're given prescriptions from them. We have to fulfill them. But then we don't really get the follow up back from the patient. We don't really know okay, did it work well? Did the drug do what it was meant to do? Have you gone back to see your doctor? That sync up is not there. Two, I think from a PCN and a pharmacy specific regulatory standpoint, the new registrar is doing a fantastic job. I'm actually quite impressed with him. But I think there are a few things we can improve on. One is the 200 meter rule. One of the laws states that you must be 200 meters away from an existing pharmacy to open up your location. Now what that has done is, on the one hand, it sort of protected the profession. It's helped people that have been there sort of keep their stronghold. But then it's also sort of subdued competition. And so it's meant that if a pharmacy hasn't been doing well in a particular location, if they just stay there and don't do anything, another brand can come there and compete and offer better service to the citizens and to the populace. So sort of the customer suffered a bit there. And the last thing I would say is around research and data. I think we're not harnessing a lot of what we are doing, both in the local manufacturing side, to the likes of Emzor, the likes of Good Life, the likes of Fitzen, right? Where's that connect between the manufacturers and the distributors and the retail pharmacies like us? But then also the people that we're selling to, what are we doing with that data? For example, okay, malaria is selling 40% of, our medicine? How has that tracked over the past five years? What is the cause of that? When we say we want to eradicate malaria in Nigeria, how far longer are we with doing that? And what does the data infer from that? So I'll stop there. Those are my key initial points.
3: Hi, everyone. Tito Ovia here, former co-founder of Helium Health. But uh, My real job was I was the head of growth in Helium, and my focus was really working with governments to ensure that our technology could be adopted in their various healthcare policies and healthcare projects. Most notably, I led the project in which we digitized the secondary care facilities in Aquivalm State to ensure that, of course, the governments itself could be able to have electronic medical record software within their hospitals, upgrade it with solar power networking, um, of course, the necessary devices so that the government have a sort of state dashboard in which they can view data that they are then collecting from those hospitals, like how many patients were female over the age of 40 came in with malaria in this week, things like that. Another major project that led was the Lagos State COVID-19 testing platform that also enabled for us to actually open up our airports. So when people were coming back into Lagos State, they had to fill out the form, um, had to be able to pay for their COVID-19 tests, and also then upload in turn after a while their COVID-19 vaccination cards. And you know, I would say that the real beauty of that is truly seeing how technology can help leapfrog certain problems that we actually faced and we had um, as a country to allowing us to open up our markets, like with COVID-19. I would say that my three major points of things that should be touched on, I would actually first of all start with education because we can... Build the fanciest hospitals. We can get the equipment. Again, Nigeria has been shown to be able to draw an investment year on year, um, even though we've been on a steady decline. But we've seen to draw an investments for other sectors, whether it be oil and gas, whether it be, you know, civil works of building roads, whether it be things like building a deep seaport. We've been seen to be able to do that. And we can do the same with healthcare and buy all the fanciest equipment in the world. But the problem is that do we actually have the people that are trained enough to be actually man this and run this. And people talk about brain drain and things like that, but people are leaving because nobody wants to be behind their peers, just educational wise, you know, people want to be able to be trained upon the latest procedures and using the latest equipment and things like that. So I think, first of all, before we even start talking about, okay, how do we make our healthcare sector better? We need to make sure that there's even a foundation educational wise for the people that we are having in this country to make sure that there are continuous programs and fellowships and things like that. And we're in turn partnering with possibly the best hospitals around the world to ensure that our people are being trained consistently in the different departments. And this isn't just doctors, this is lab technicians, this is nurses, phlebotomists, you know, radiologists. Again, it goes on and on and on, but throughout every single part of the healthcare delivery system, we need to ensure that we constantly do that. And then the next one is, of course, infrastructure. You know, yes, we've been seen to be able to attract investment, but I don't feel like healthcare has, especially in Africa, has been seen as a for-profit business enough. You know especially the hospital is almost like a social service, as you will it's almost laughable when people say, okay, let's do medical tourism and, you know, let's build a healthcare megacity. What does that even mean in the first place? What does that begin to look like if you're not putting the hundreds of millions of dollars into these facilities in the first place? You can't just build a building and stuff equipment into it. So do we really have those for purpose built hospitals and facilities in the first place? Um, and then finally, sort of Yifeh touched on this a bit, but where Helium really came in for me and was passionate about was the connectivity. So, you know, like Yfe has said, pharmacies are actually our first point of care, whether we like it or not. Yes, you have all these primary care centers dotted around things like that, but people don't go to them. How people act or maybe our culture or how we behave or our behavior is people, first of all, go to pharmacies and they sort of ask them. So again, I think it's important for our healthcare delivery system not to sort of exclude the pharmacies in any way or try and take back power because it's not going to happen. It's about actually working hand in hand with them, ensuring that you can actually get data having hospitals, you know, feel comfortable enough to even refer patients to pharmacies in the first place and ensuring in fact that they're sharing data between each other. Because this even helps with stocking levels. It helps with when you know what sort of treatments you need to be prepared for. Um, And in turn, even when you then sort of reach up to insurance levels and things like that, ensuring that you can even provide more than a primary level care of insurance to the country as a nation. Um, So really connectivity, I feel like, is at the backbone of everything. Um, And having sort of this data, not even just for the private sector, but even just for the public sector as well, will help with you know budgeting and planning and not just saying, okay, the biggest hospital gets the most money because it doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. To pick up on your point, Tito, all presidential candidates always talk about investing in healthcare and some with admittedly crazy ideas like we're going to ban medical tourism and make sure that nobody in the elite can travel and hence would Invest in healthcare, but
1: have any of the candidates this time had the temerity to state that?
0: Sure, I did.
1: And like, of the four people who could realistically get 20%, okay, none of them have. Because they would be incredible hypocrites if they, even, and, if they even suggested it,
3: right? And the truth is, I don't even happens? believe that that's even the answer because, you know, what's interesting about these candidates, um, I me mean, not say candidates, but what's interesting about politicians in general is that when they do travel abroad, a lot of the times they're actually seeking out Nigerian doctors in the abroad. My crucial question, and this is actually
1: one that I would ask because both of you brought it up in a substantive way. Does it make sense to be a doctor in Nigeria? Both of my parents came back after training, after post-PhD, after PhDs, etc. In the late 70s, mid-80s, right? They came back to be doctors in Nigeria. Today, does it make sense to be a doctor in Nigeria? Because that is actually part of the point that I look at when I think about our healthcare system. It makes sense if you're going to be on the business side.
3: So I'm yes and no. So it depends on the field, right? If you're going into elective medicine, which is a whole different ballgame, I would say most definitely, right? And when I say elective, I mean things like cosmetic surgery. I mean things like... BBL. Yes, BBL, yeah. So if you're going into cosmetics, most definitely it makes sense. However, I would sort of throw a blanket over every other sector and say, no, it doesn't make sense because it still boils down to, okay... First of all, before you even manage to bring the equipment in, even having the nurses that are trained to be, again, do we have any emergency ER nurses in Nigeria? Is that even a real thing? So if you're opening up a hospital, do you have ER nurses? Do we even have an emergency service network that is fit so that when somebody comes and someone has a gunshot wound and you hear that these hospitals turn them away, they're not turning them away because they're trying to be wicked. They're turning them away because they're not stuff or equipped to handle those things. So I would throw a blanket on and say, It really depends on what is your specialty, but majority of them, I would say no, because for example, you don't have the support staff, the necessary equipment, again, even, you know, all the consumables and things like that, that you need um, necessarily even bringing them in as even another thing. And then again, do we really have for purpose fit hospitals who really care for patients at like a tertiary care level, right? Because it's really tertiary care that you really start making in the money if we're being honest, right? Because again, those are the big ticket items. And the answer is no, unfortunately. And the truth is that when you then begin to say, okay, you know, do we ban medical tourism and things like that? No, but I would say it still comes down to education. But if you're investing in your healthcare sector, and investment doesn't necessarily even mean money, right? It means we are a UCH, we're going to set up a partnership with, you know, for example, Harvard Medical School or like John Hopkins, in which we do like a doctor swap, or in which like, you know, your lecturers sometimes come and teach and I things like that. The remember
1: DRASA did it with pen on infectious diseases. Exactly, on infectious diseases. And you wonder, how did that how did really. that
3: pan out? But again, let's do it on more than things like infectious diseases because, yes, apart from... that was Ebola. Exactly, uh, apart, yeah. from, so, so I mean, apart from things like Ebola, of course, so, apart yeah. from things like Ebola and malaria and things like that, like, why can't we do it on, like, you know, cardiovascular diseases? Why can't we do it on things like asthma and diabetes and things like that, right? Can we do it on pediatrics? So when I talk about investments, it really even starts from there, very simply, right, and setting up those link partnerships because... Even one of the reasons why in the UAE they've managed to set up this whole like healthcare hub is because of those partnerships that we have with different healthcare institutions all over the world which is important. So even starting with that I feel like it's important because we have a plethora of doctors that come back every 2 weeks or once a month right and they do that to sort of you know say okay I'm bringing all my equipment in I'm bringing all my consumables in, I'm doing all of that, and I'm going to do surgery here, back-to-back surgeries, and then I fly back, and the follow-ups are then on Zoom. So, yeah, we have the minds, we have the people, but like education, I feel like, is such an issue and infrastructure.
2: Tito, just to ask you a question on that, the the likes of Evercare, Reddington, that just opened Duchess on the mainland, and then, you know, the Arjo guys, They are all trying to make strides into healthcare and on the private sector side. How do you see them doing and where do you see them as the challenges and where do you see them making strides? Because, you know, they've all raised quite a bit of money.
3: Most definitely they have, right? And for example, they are perfect examples about why I talk about education, because if you go into a hospital like Evercare or even like Reddington, you would definitely put them, you know, our top five within the country based on aesthetics, based on equipment, based on... That aesthetics right?
1: thing is a real thing, but it's important in because It's very Because when you
3: walk in, you want to feel clean. You want well. to feel clean. And especially if your price point is targeting those people that usually go abroad, then most definitely you have to look a certain way. Again, my problem is that these hospitals, you have an ER. Do you have nurses that are actually ER nurses? Like, for example, or are they just some people that, okay, maybe they've been doing... 10 years in nursing and things like that and then okay you then put them there and if you look at the majority of these hospitals they'll be shy to answer this because the answer is no so same way that you have doctors that are in pediatric specialists in pediatrics specialists in cardiovascular specialists in you know again cosmetics and things like that right the same way that you also have other people that are part of the facility as well that need to be specialists in what they do. And the unfortunate thing is that these people, it's too expensive, so most likely they bring in doctors from abroad or different countries, things like that, or even train up their own doctors, but they don't do enough for the other support staff that are supposed to also be part of those hospitals. And that's something that I see constantly around all these hospitals, and there's nothing that they can actually do about it, because unfortunately, the people just don't have the training. So yes, doctors, you can manage to fine because if you don't even necessarily want Nigerian doctors, what, you bring them in for India, bring them in from Ghana, wherever, right? You can find the doctors. But again, the other support staff that also contribute to the care of the patient, we unfortunately don't have that. So I feel like sometimes we only think, okay, yes, we have these important doctors. This doctor has moved back. We've set up the facility. But what about the support staff?
1: So if that, because I actually feel as if Tita has answered my question, but you are trying to eat the lunch of the Nigerian doctor that's the medplus thesis expansion plan right no if you don't get us in trouble no, They're already no, no eating i'm there. saying that i have this thesis that the best yeah. intervention if you want to work in african healthcare and treat the most people is to upskill the pharmacy to make the pharmacy intervention able to distinguish between this person needs this particular drug or actually at that point have the pharmacist intervene and be like this person needs to see a doctor actually not me so i'm trying to be a little bit diplomatic but i
3: think it's okay to say that the pharmacies because if you look around africa in general right sub-saharan africa pharmacies are it's not oh maybe they are trying to they are eating the lunch of the hospitals and they are going to continue doing it. Right. It may not be at the scale that we want, but I'm for it. And it needs to happen because if anybody was to ask their staff, right, or anybody that was of lower class or anything like that, you know, sort of drivers, gate men, things like that. OK, when well, you you're feeling well, well, where is the first place you go to? They will tell you the pharmacy. Hands down. They will. Of course, you know, you can buy almost every single drug. You can buy antibiotics, anti malaria. Apart from Lexatime, Literally, you can buy in the pharmacy. everything you can buy over the pharmacy. you can buy antidepressants over the counter. Literally, you can do all that over the counter. Again, their understanding is what do I need to go to the hospital for? Because it's still medication that they are going to get. So in their mind, they are cutting out the middleman who is the doctors on the hospital. Yeah. So what they're supposed to be doing, right, is that the hospitals are supposed to be working hand in hand with the pharmacy so they're meant to for example partner with a MedPlus and say okay i would like to be able to station a medical officer there in your pharmacy if that's yeah. it so if somebody comes yeah. in right and maybe we do things like we offer free blood pressure tests and things like that so if someone comes in you're not sure i can be able to give advice we can even possibly then refer them to our hospital. Right? So again, they even become a pipeline for growth for those facilities, not then try to shut them out or not say, "Oh, I'm not because some hospitals even refuse to even write down the medication that they want to give you. i'm I'm telling you, and these really? are again, I'm not going to mention any names, you know of course. Mm, yeah, they but, do
2: Don't forget the hospitals
3: have their own pharmacies as well, so they want to carry yes. you through this. Hospitals in the country refuse to write down the names of the medication on prescription. Or even sometimes even because tell you. Because they don't you, want you to, go pay to, pay to go, go and, and buy it buy somewhere as else. Well. Exactly. They don't want you to buy it somewhere so else. They
1: write, maybe, because I actually, I've seen one of these where they wrote down my condition. Because I paid, so they had to write something down. Exactly. They wrote down my condition, but not the...
3: Not what they're prescribing you. No. So it's until you've even paid for the medication. Then, of course, they give it to you, but they still don't write it down. So you have to start looking on the packet and being like, oh, what am I supposed to take? Yes. That's what they do, which for me is completely wrong because you're meant to work hand in hand if you ever want to scale this healthcare system in the first place. So, again, if I owned a facility, I would be partnering with every single pharmacy that was around. I'll be partnering with pharmacies. I'll partner with the outside labs. I'll be doing that because I would then be using them as a source for a pipeline. So I'm going to pivot
1: a little towards something that Toby might ask and kind of leave it to him because otherwise I'll get involved in my own preoccupations, which is that should the government hands off this? Are there areas that the federal government should focus on? Are there areas in which they're obstructing good things that could be happening? You know, like if I mentioned the 200 meter rule, which as he concedes, doesn't really
0: I've never heard of that and it's completely insane. I can
2: quickly come in here. So I'd like to think about it in the three P's. People, product, process. Now, Tito has mentioned clearly, there's definitely a talent gap on the people side. So the government and everybody, both private and public sector, need to invest in not only retaining the people that come out, but also then developing pipeline of everybody in the ecosystem. Nurses, lobotomists, pharmacists, medical officers, surgeons, etc. We lost last year probably over 50 pharmacists abroad to JAKBA. And we currently employ maybe like 350 pharmacists. So that's quite a sizable percentage. Definitely on the talent side, we need to create that ecosystem of talent and then monetize them to stay. It can't just be because of altruism motives. There needs to be a monetary incentive for them to stay here. On the product side, I think the primary healthcare centers, in this report I shared, it talked about how they wanted to revitalize 10,000 of them. They need to figure out how do I get last mile healthcare delivery, right? Rural areas, et cetera, that makes sense and an efficient way. So that's what I'll say on the product side. And on the process side is the things we've mentioned around the whole value chain. The national health insurance, the HMOs, the pharmacies, the hospital, everybody has to work hand in hand to make sure that the chain works. And on Tito's point about the hospitals, you know, mini clinic is something CVS or what we in the U.S. have where you just walk in you see a doctor or a medical officer, they prescribe you around the spot, and you pick up your thing and go. And even same thing in MedPlus India, that's actually started after us. In MedPlus in India, they have about 1,000 or 2,000 stores. They have clinics and labs combined in a lot of their stores. So there's no reason why we can't do that. It's a win-win for both sides. The doctors win, the lab technicians win, the pharmacy win. And then, of course, encourage local production. Everyone talks about local substitution, import substitution. COVID showed us that when things go bad and lockdown, countries actually just hold their own resources. And it's an advantage, protection to your sovereignty, when you have your own assets. So it can be vaccines, it can be the basic medication, we should go into local manufacturing. Just because our population is so large, we're going to be 500 million people in 2050. We're going to be the third largest nation Hmm. in the world.
1: Immediately after the election, there's supposed to be a census. Yeah, there is. Will this be the first real census since the 1960s? Because every, every other one every other one has been a mathematical census, where they oh. just extrapolate. So will whoever gets there take the horns and okay. really do a real census. We don't know. But what I will concede for the point that you're making, sorry for the for the detour, is that there are it's an explicit podcast, there are a fuck ton of us, right? Like over hundred and fifty million Nigerians, easily. Even I will concede that, right? And our birth rate is really quite high. Unfortunately, our infant mortality rate is ticking up again. So there are a lot of Nigerians, and it will be a substantial number of the world's population to address.
0: Yeah. And I mean, on the population point, to me, until I actually see you publish a peer review paper on this, we're going to achieve
1: it. But like, maybe when I'm finished making money.
0: So so this leads me to my next question, right? And it's related to the points. Made. So do we have a market to support? So in the previous episode, right, where we had Faye uh, me, it was given the example of Indonesia and how they actually used a crisis to revitalize the entire healthcare delivery system in the country. And so suppose we have a new president who takes this seriously and we are able to, like, have some form of coordination around investing in some of the problems that you guys have raised. We're able to retain, train and retain talent, invest in infrastructure. Do we have the market to make these investments worthwhile? Like, what's the state of the healthcare market in Nigeria, is it profitable or does it have the potential to be profitable? Or is it a case of, yeah, you're going to leave a lot of blood on the floor for a few years before you get to profitability, which then drives more investment? So what's the state of the market?
3: I'll actually jump in here. And I think that to be able to even analyze this, you have to look at both public sector and private sector. So putting it simply, in my opinion, public sector yes, you are going to leave blood on the floor for, you know, a couple of years. But then it'll build up. And I believe that this also has to do with trust and ensuring that you're working hand in hand with the pharmacies. And, and I say this because currently right now, we have way too many unnecessary facilities. And I think that's the easiest way to put it. Again, we do. And why I say this, for example, is that you know, if I, again, touched on this, but when you even look at our primary health care centers, you know, a state like Akwaibom, for example, has over 200 primary health care centers. All of them are being funded. All of them are getting money. There's a budget for all of them. However, majority of them are not functional. And when I say not functional, I don't mean, oh, you know, maybe they don't have medication that was supplied or anything. I literally mean that it is, it does not exist. This is maybe a rundown, dilapidated building that nobody goes to and is overgrown by wild animals. So, for example, for the public sector, in my own opinion, the first thing that you do is that you don't necessarily scrap primary healthcare centres. It's that you reduce them severely because a big problem that they see is that there's no budget, there's no budget, there's no budget for healthcare. And it's because you're funding hospitals that don't exist in the first place. So you first of all, scrap the ghost hospitals, in my opinion, you also use that funding and then invest more in your secondary care facilities, or even then set up like the primary facilities within them, right? Or beside them or close to them because people already know those ones anyway. If you ask, you know, majority of people that are within their different states, they know where their general hospitals are, which are the secondary care facilities. And they know where their teaching hospitals are, which are their tertiary care facilities, but their primary health care facilities, again, they don't go to them. They don't use them. So I would do something quite controversial, which isn't necessarily scrap them, but I would reduce maybe like 75% of them and then use that funding to build up your secondary care facilities, not increasing even the numbers of them, but just pouring more money into ensuring that the nurses, for example, and the doctors are paid better, ensuring that you have consumables, ensuring that you can even put a coat of paint or even pay for a cleaner to come in and like do things properly. I would do that. And then even the tertiary care facilities, because some of them have no running water. I've been to at least six of them around the country, if not more, have no running water, aren't able to even support what's going on in the facility. And they've sort of almost gotten too big and overrun. Um, again, something controversial, shut them down, close them down, save the money and start literally some of these facilities have to start again. Because there is no amount of renovation that you can do that will literally build up these facilities. For example, this hospital in Kano, um, Macha Mohammed, right, is one of the oldest facility. actually. It's older than UCH in Nigeria. There actually is not enough water in the ground where the facility is located to support the facility. Which means that if you, like, restart the facility in that exact same plot of land, right, it is not, not. always going to have a
1: water retention will, problem.
3: Exactly, you will. So, again, a lot of these facilities, you have to start again. So that's why I say for public sector, most definitely. Is what?
1: So what, sell these to property developers, etc., use that money Exactly, to, use to... that money,
3: exactly. Okay. And then start again. And again, it's going to be controversial because the question goes, where then do these people go and things like that? That's where
1: I was born. How exactly. You... But you
3: can't be sentimental with these things because a facility is not fit for purpose. That facility is never going to be able to improve. If people are going to keep on dying. You're never going to be able to give quality of care. Start again. So... Quite controversial, but for me that's on the public sector side, right? And that takes a lot of town planning strategy. You know, again, you need almost everybody to come in from the different sectors to work hand in hand. Which you know, Nigeria, we've shown that exactly it's tough to bring in different heads of even just departments, and ministers. So that's another angle. For the private sector, honestly, I believe that you honestly have the potential to make book. Like to make money. I know, I know, I do. You
1: know, I'm laughing because I like we run like several loss making uh, private have. sector facilities within my own family. So I'm always like, this but sector, like, again, it should be a real it, estate play.
3: But again, you know, the thing is, doctors should never be running hospitals in the first place. That again, is actually the point. if you go to the majority of hospitals around this country, they are run by doctors, which makes no sense because. They are not the ones that have MBAs. They are not the ones that are necessarily business-inclined, things like that. They're not the ones that are going to sit down and say, okay, these finances, where is our money coming from? What can we invest in? Should we really be doing this? Where do we need to sort of like capitalize on things like that? Their core is really care that they offer the ethical care. Exactly, ethical care, which a lot of times can actually run them at a loss. Right? Because again, you're thinking about, right, I want the best for my patients. I want to do the best. I want the best tech sutures. I want the best equipment. I, will, I mean, you can buy really good equipment and really good sutures that are still like gonna give you the same effect, but that might be the difference between making a profit and you making a loss. So again, how many of those businesses were just, I'm a doctor. I have this land. I'm building a building. This is where the x-ray machine will go. Did you literally get a consultant, a healthcare consultant, to come in and map this out? In the area that you're even starting your pediatric hospital, right, do you know whether there is even a high birth rate in that area that even makes sense to do that? Is there a pediatric hospital that around the you, corner? Or is that way you just where you have land, you just built it. It doesn't even make sense. Have you even done the study of that area? Again, in that area, the majority of people just go to the next door lab and pharmacy and that's it. Does not make sense to even set up a hospital in that area? So that's why I say that you literally have the potential to make money and make buck. but I don't feel that we've treated healthcare as a business enough. The, the pharmacies have, which I love. I love it. The pharmacies have, the labs have, the hospitals. No no no, we have not. We're still playing games.
1: We are. Do you guys feel that you have been extraordinarily cynical about this?
3: Again, why would you choose to drive? You know, okay, yes, it's a nice environment, but then you then... It's not that much
1: nicer, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise you have to get to ever care. Like, the, mid, the, the mid-market healthcare...
3: Exactly, it doesn't, don't, they don't, don't, it I, doesn't I don't bother it. them. I don't, exactly. the, I don't see the point of it. Right? Exactly, and they would say that, you know, it's okay, whatever, like, you know, and plus maybe as well for that mid-market too, if I can afford to tip 2K to the nurse to bump me up to the front of the queue or call me when, you know, the doctor is there. I then don't have to wait the five hours that everybody is waiting in that right? But I've still also saved money as well. So why do you then go? So I do believe that, yes, most definitely, because without public healthcare, with our population, it just wouldn't be enough. I just feel that we need to scale back on the primary healthcare centers that are dilapidated and not doing, instead of revitalizing them and adding more, don't, don't do it, don't. The one that you have is enough. In fact, shut them down. And combined resources. So, you know, because you have one primary health care center on this road, the next one, the next road around. In the same local government, you can maybe have like six primary health care centers. You can, I wow, thought it like
2: 30,000, right? Exactly.
3: And mind you, you don't only have primary health care centers. You will have primary health care centers. You will have general hospitals, which are secondary care. You'll most definitely have a tertiary facility per state. And not only that, you'll have a federal medical college, and then sometimes the states themselves too then have their own state teaching hospitals. Of course, resources are spread thin. I think that is actually our problem right uh, there. And when you say
1: resources, do you mean financial? Or human? Financial.
3: But actually, both are spread thin, to be very honest, right? So if you're able to then combine by closing down certain places, and again, it will be controversial. But... It's fine. It's OK. Because guess what? Even in places where you quote unquote say you have the best healthcare systems, if you're in the countryside in the UK sometimes, like the closest hospital is what, a 30 minute drive or a 45 minute drive. It's OK. It happens. That is actually normal. Yeah. That is what happens if you live in a rural area. Sometimes the closest clinic is 30 minutes away. It happens. It doesn't need to be at your doorstep to know that you're delivering care. There are other things you can do that are cheaper if you want to say you're doing door-to-door care, right? You can literally partner with pharmacies and have medical officers go around and drive on bikes and go to these communities and have community health workers that do these things. You actually can. There are cheaper ways, but something of like a PHC, honestly. So we are spread thin. I don't think that anybody has decided to sit down and think about this strategically because I feel that by virtue of the type of governments that we have is that once you see something, right it means that we're working and it's the idea of wow if we're building more hospitals government is doing more and we're setting up more we're doing this and we're doing that it's like no sometimes scaling back means progress as well it does and we have to be okay with that but you know it's say more is that we're working whereas you're just spreading thin it means that you're cutting down salaries of these doctors and nurses yeah
0: so my final question to both of you so we're talking ballots and beyond, right? What is the first thing after the elections on the day one or the whatever that the new president decides to look at the healthcare care industry? What should be the first thing? It may be an intervention, it may be a deregulation that the president should seriously be looking at regarding health care.
3: Hopefully all candidates have seriously been thinking about who they would want to have as their ministers and special advisors, especially for healthcare, right? But if they haven't and it is day one, then for me, that is the first thing that you're supposed to do, right? Um, you know, even do your research and even you find your candidates in the first place. Because the truth is, right, I hate when no, you know, I say I hate. I severely dislike when, for example, you create policies without the people that are supposed to carry and champion these policies. So again, finding your person and actually allowing them to come in and actually create the strategy of, okay, and I say strategy, I mean that, you know, you come in, you do a overhaul of, okay, what is our healthcare system currently like? Like getting real consultants in, almost like a census before healthcare, right? And doing all of that before you then begin to say, this is the strategy and this is what we want to do. So when people make all these bold statements and say, okay, we're going to ban this or we're going to ban medical tourism or we're going to make sure that we get a billion dollars in investment. So where will you now put the money? Um, You know, I can only speak about tech innovation, things like that. But I literally would do a deep dive and an overhaul of every single state what our healthcare system is like in the first place, right? So I know even in the first place what I'm working with. And whether this takes a year right, to be able to do, or even like two years, I would rather wait that time first to be able to understand what I'm working with before I then continue, which, you know, again, sounds very slow and very long. But even if I don't even get reelected after four years, at least whoever comes in next will have a basis of what they can start to be able to do, which I don't think anybody has done for a very long time. They just assume, oh, health insurance, or assume this, or assume buy equipment, and it doesn't work out necessarily in that way.
2: Um, I think on our side, I echo completely what you just said, but we need a clear blueprint on the last mile delivery. As I said, is it going to be the primary healthcare route, primary healthcare center? Is it going to be through private sector? Is it going to be through the, the pharmacies? We need to agree on a framework that works for everyone. And then, of course, leveraging the pharmacy industry and the health insurance guys, the health insurance scheme needs to be looked at and also kind of reviewed because you don't forget when you're not the one paying for the care there's always sort of like an incentive mismatch so i go to for example the reliance hmo and axa Mansard they bill the hospital typically they're billing the hospital a lot more than the actual cost right and not only that there starts to be a lot of like debt overhang where hmos are owing hospitals money that's also part of the reason why they now struggle financially So that ecosystem needs to be reworked. And then, of course, as I said, he needs to invest in talent. He or she, the next president, needs to now look at how we're building pipeline and capacity in the industry. And I should mention all the health tech players coming up. We're all very excited about them. People like Helium. In the pharmacy industry, we have people like Pharmacy Africa. There's Drugstock. There's Remedia Health. There are quite a few players playing around to help scale.
1: I really want to thank Tito Ovia, the ex-co-founder of Helium Health, one of the pioneering health delivery and health infrastructure and technology companies in Nigeria, and Ife the director of strategy and innovation at MedPlus, which is the largest pharmaceutical chain in the entire country, for giving us the as to what's really going on in healthcare and what could be profitably changed or sensibly change. More importantly, I think in healthcare, the thesis that I'm going to take away from this is that the president could be kind of a leader in discussing the issue and possibly then driving us to better outcomes. So I want to thank them a great deal for taking their time to talk to us. Fantastic, guys.